Welcome to Britt David Podcast, as Pastor Tim brings us a message today entitled Unloved and Unwanted from Hosea chapter 1 verse 2 through chapter 2 verse 1. The directions given to the prophet Hosea by God are some of the strangest you could imagine. God tells his holy man to marry an unfaithful woman, both of them knowing that she will continue to be unfaithful after the wedding. Sure enough, she fills Hosea's house with children who are not his. God uses this very scenario to teach his people a lesson they may not learn any other way. Despite their waywardness with him, God still loves them and provides for them. Here's Pastor Tim. Hope you have your Bible tonight. If you'll take it, turn with me to the book of Hosea. We took some time this morning to go through and kind of, since we missed last Sunday night, to pick up kind of where we were with our uh, study through the Bible uh, alphabetically. We hit Hebrews this morning. Tonight we're in the Old Testament book of Hosea. So if you can find Daniel, it's right after that one. A couple of weeks ago, I saw a young lady that was wearing a shirt that said, Unloved and Unwanted. And I thought, how, how sad is that? I mean, what a sad t-shirt, but what a worse feeling for somebody to have. There are plenty of people who feel like they are unloved and unwanted. And sadly, there are some who genuinely are unloved and unwanted. For example, there are plenty of unwanted babies Did you know that it's reported by the mothers themselves that 95% of all abortions are done for social reasons? Ironically, there is an emergency contraceptive pill, sometimes we call it a morning after pill, that goes by by the brand name of Unwanted 72. It tells me a lot right there, doesn't it? Not only are there unwanted babies, there are unwanted children for a variety of reasons, some that are good and some not so good. There are over 391,000 children in foster care in the United States. And there are 2.3 million children who do not live with either their biological parents or adoptive parents. Not only are there unwanted babies and unwanted children, they're unwanted teenagers. And they see it, they feel it, they sense it. They're, it's hard to tell exactly what this real number is, but somewhere between 1.6 and 2.8 million teenagers run away from home every year. When I was little, I don't, I don't remember if I was eight or nine, something like that, I told my parents that I had had enough, (laughs) and I was going to run away. Now, in my heart, I was going to run away to North Carolina because that's where my dad's mother was and his family that was here with us last week. And I thought, I'll go all the way to North Carolina, and they they love me enough, they won't tell me, they won't tell Mom and Daddy where I am. I only made it to the stop sign, and I come back, and my mom, of course, had watched me. By the way, she helped me pack my bag. And sent me on my way. I don't know what that says, but anyway, she did at least watch. I made it all the way to the stop sign and came back and she said, what are you doing back? 
And I said, well, I can't go across the street. <laughs> and plus, I'm hungry. So anyway, for far serious, more serious reasons, there are teenagers who run away, it seems like, every single day. And then it doesn't stop there, does it? There are unwanted senior adults. Reports of euthanasia are up 10% this past year. And our healthcare system is increasingly promoting that. By the way, just this past week, I heard some proponents of standardized healthcare saying that any person that is between the ages of 21 and 40 should be given whatever health care that they want. But the person who's 41 and above is beyond their prime, and we're not so sure if their health care shouldn't be limited. We have to be careful, don't we? There are 365,000 missing children in America. 30% of those are being trafficked, sex trafficked, forced into prostitution. It's ironic to me that, uh, by the way, it's 30% of those are, are teenagers, 109,000 of them. But the ironic thing is that a person, whether they are voluntarily or involuntarily involved in a prostitution um, uh, scheme, find themselves so confused at this area, some think that they are wanted because they're sought after. And some think that they're loved because they're paid for their company. And yet all of them know how it feels to be abandoned and to be discarded. Those are the kinds of feelings and those are the kind of statistics that provide the background for the book of Hosea. Hosea is such an odd book. It opens up by introducing us to a prophet who is an incredible prophet, faithful to the Lord and faithful with his message. And yet God gives him an odd command. Hosea has served under the administrations of four different kings in Judah, one king in, the, in Israel. He's been providing them with spiritual lessons But he's about to become the spiritual lesson. God tells him, and we will read it, that he is to take for himself a wife of harlotry. Her name is Gomer. Apparently she is already unfaithful even before their marriage. And you may expect that the wedding ceremony is going to stop that, bring that to an end. And she's finally going to settle down and they're going to have a home. She doesn't settle down at all. The presence of children in the home doesn't slow her down at all. In fact, as you read through the book of Hosea, you'll discover that she moves out and moves in with another man while she's still married. What Hosea does at that point, you just have to attribute it to the Lord because there's not one man in here that would do what Hosea did. He goes and supplies her and the man that she's living with, with their food. With the necessities of life that they would need. Then eventually he goes and buys her back. And brings her home. 
and she's still unfaithful. Let's cut to the bottom line for just a second. Why in the world would God encourage his prophet, a man of God, a holy man, to to go into cahoots even with a woman like that? He's about to demonstrate to them in a way that Hosea has never imagined his love for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, and then us, his people, continue to follow in this example, are so wayward. Even when he is faithful, his people are faithless. Even in the midst of extravagant grace and extravagant good and blessing, his people still turn to idolatry, worshiping something else, anything else, and not placing him in the proper place. It's almost hard to imagine the relationship between Israel and their God, between his people today and him, and not have this story of Hosea and Gomer. There are a number of lessons that you and I need to learn just as well as the people of Israel in that day needed to learn. Now this morning, somebody so rudely said that they didn't want to go to the English class. <laughs> so apparently a lot of more people thought it than said it. So anyway, we're going back to class today. Then we'll give you some lessons. Number one is a lesson on listening. A lesson on listening. Now back when I was in elementary school, it was on our report card, a grade for listening. Worst grade I ever made in my entire schooling career was in listening. You think about getting in trouble over bad grades. That's one that's hard to talk your way out of. The truth of the matter is, is that we need to learn how to listen. And we as preachers need to learn how to listen. Look, if you will, he introduces himself in verse number one. Let's pick it up in verse number two. The Bible says this, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, The Lord said to Hosea, stop there with me for just a moment. What I've underlined in my Bible are the words by and to. When he got ready to speak by Hosea, that Hosea would be his prophet, his mouthpiece. The first thing that he did was to speak to Hosea. Hosea needs to listen. He needs to learn to listen to the voice of God. We as preachers need to learn to listen to the voice of God. Jesus himself said, I speak to the world those things which I hear from the Father. Jesus was listening. It's it's not enough to fill a pulpit or fill a time slot with words. It's not enough to stand and give an opinion that, that is popular with the people that you're talking to. This only matters if it is from God, if it's His Word, if He is speaking directly into our lives. So I have to make sure 
What is God speaking to me in these passages? Not just to be concerned, what does God want to speak through me? What does God want to do in me? It's important not just for preachers, it's important for teachers. It's important for everybody to learn to listen to God. How many times have you heard somebody say, and maybe you've been the one to say it, I just can't tell if that's God speaking to me. I I mean, I don't know if it's God's voice or if it's the devil's voice and he's trying to trick me or even if it's my own voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. You need to know the voice of the shepherd. You know, in those days when in, in those Bible days as the shepherds gathered together and, and put those sheep in the same field, sometimes in the very same pen. Someone asked, how do you tell the difference between your sheep and this other shepherd's sheep and this other shepherd's sheep if they're all in there mixed together? And he said, I just call to them. They hear my voice and they know me and they come. How do you get to know the voice of God? Right here. This is Him speaking. It is Him speaking about everything that you need for life and for godliness. If you ever think that you have a message from the Lord and it goes against the Word of God, then it's not a message from the Lord. The person, and it's happened more than once, the person who comes to my office and says, you know, I've really been praying about this and I think God wants me to divorce my spouse. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Is that, is that, is that minimalizing it and making it seem as if it's not nearly as hard as this person thinks it is? No, I, I acknowledge that it's hard and it's difficult. But things in life are hard and difficult. So how do you get through it? You listen to God. He has everything that you need. Everything. Maybe what we need is simply a lesson on listening. Now, with that in mind, listen <laughs> to what God says through Hosea. Same thing that he had said to Hosea. Here it is. Go Take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. We'll get to see that in a moment. For the land has committed great harlotry or spiritual harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he tells us right here at the very beginning what this book is about and why he would tell Hosea to do what he's telling him to do. It becomes a living, breathing example to them of what spiritual unfaithfulness looks like. You may say, well, that's something for their day. That's not something for our day. We don't have, we don't have statues that we bow down to. We don't have these other things. It doesn't have to be a statue, does it? Anything that takes first place in your life, if it's not God, is an idol. It's an idol, no matter matter what it is and no matter how good of something that it is. No matter if it is even a blessing from the Lord. I need to learn to listen to Him. Listening, however, goes far beyond hearing, doesn't it? 
To really listen also means to obey and to follow. I mean, Hosea could have easily said, okay, Lord, I hear you. I'm supposed to go and take a wife of harlotry. That's a good one, Lord. That's a good one. Yep, I'll be able to use that in a sermon somewhere down the way. What's, what is Hosea supposed to do? He's supposed to take a woman of harlotry. He has to obey. Do you think Hosea understood what God was doing? I'm not so sure. I, I know that I don't always understand what God's doing. I can sense that it's his hand. I can, I can sense that he's pointing in a direction and saying, this is what I am to do. Doesn't make it easy, does it? Listen to the Lord. Heed his voice and obey him. It's a lesson on listening. Number two, we get a lesson on legacy. A lesson on legacy. Notice this in verse number three. So he, that is Hosea, went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the blood, bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. That's... That's a mouthful, isn't it? Go marry this woman who has already been unfaithful and she will continue to be unfaithful. Take her to be your wife. He does so and they have a child together. They don't have to wonder what they're going to name him. He's not going to be Hosea Jr. You know, God says name him Jezreel. Jezreel is a word that means God will sow like Sowing seed. In other words, God will sow and God will reap. But what's he sowing and what is he reaping? Jezreel was a city of bloodshed. It was a fortified city in the region of Issachar. It's a place where David camped while he was fleeing from the Lord, uh, fleeing from uh, King Saul and fighting the Philistines all at the same time. He mentions Jehu in this, in this passage. Ahab had made Jezreel the capital city. Jehu goes in as a righteous instrument of God. And he slays Ahab. And he slays his wife Jezebel. Remember they tossed her down uh, where she burst open and the dogs came and took care of the rest of her. It's a terribly graphic place. It's a place not only where Ahab and Jezebel were killed, but all of Ahab's children were killed. All 42 of the prophets of Baal that were left, Jehu killed. In fact, it's a city that later on was going to find its place in prophecy. For God to say, I am going to allow you to name your child Jezreel, means I'm about to do a work of vengeance. It's a work of vengeance. That's going to be Jezreel's legacy. This place of bloodshed is not simply going to be cleaned up and made into a proper city. It's a city that's going to be filled with more and more bloodshed as God himself takes revenge on behalf of Jehu and what he has done. 
You say, wait a minute, Tim, time out, time out, time out. I thought you just said that Jehu did what God told him to do. He did. So did Pharaoh. So did a number of people down the line. And just because God uses them as his instrument of judgment doesn't mean that God's not going to hold them accountable for what they do. Same way they did with Nebuchadnezzar. The same way they did with so many of those kings. This is a lesson on legacy. This is not the kind of legacy that any person in here wants. I don't want to have a child who's named after bloodshed and who will be that kind of person. I, I, don't, I don't want my children to lean towards violence. I don't want them to be that way. And yet that's exactly the kind of person that God has placed in Hosea and Gomer's life. He says, it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. One of those promises that we talked about this morning, he's still going to bring that about. It's a lesson on legacy. Join us tomorrow for the conclusion of Pastor Tim's message, Unloved and Unwanted. Pastor Tim would love to share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BrittDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.